Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. And as always, you are our listeners, and we thank you for joining us. Yep, we want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media at NYC Emergency MGT on Twitter or NYC Emergency Management on Facebook. Allison and our listeners, we have a great show for you today. Uh, coming back to the show is Dr. Dimitri Daskalakis, as we like to call him, Dr. D. Yes, Dr. D is the deputy commissioner for the Division of Disease Control at the Health Department here in New York City. Um, He also oversees all infectious disease programs for New York City and the Public Health Laboratory. And add one more title to his job description. He is now the official doctor of Prep Talk. He was here last year. He did a great job talking about the flu. Uh, We're going to get into that a little later on in the show. We're also going to talk about the measles. And the great work that Dr. D is doing here in New York City to end HIV. That's right. But before we dive in, it's time to give our listeners the latest hot topics in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. All right. It's the Situation Report. Let's get started. This first story is from NBC News. Uh, The U.S. is facing the worst measles outbreak in almost 30 years. Now, since the start of 2019, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has confirmed more than 100 cases of measles in 10 states. Measles activity has been monitored closely in southwestern Washington state, where a public health emergency was declared in January after 55 confirmed cases. A similar outbreak also occurred in New York in January. Almost all of the cases occurred in children younger than 10 whose parents had chosen not to vaccinate them or those who did not have the second dose. Measles is a highly contagious infection that can survive up to two hours in an airspace where someone infected has coughed, sneezed, or even breathed. The spread of measles can be prevented through vaccinations, which are 97% effective. Now, last year, there were a total of 349 measles cases in the U.S., and Allison, I know we're going to get into that a little later with Dr. D. So stay tuned. Thanks, Omar. Now, can the spread of the flu lead to a blood shortage? Now, executives from the New York Blood Center place blame on the extreme cold and widespread flu outbreak following an emergency blood shortage, according to LOHUD, um, part of the USA Today network. Flu activity generally peaks between December and February, and the outbreaks are well underway in New York City. According to the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene's weekly influenza surveillance report, flu activity in New York City is currently elevated. The health department began surveillance activities for the 2018-2019 season on September 30th. Now, blood supply generally drops in the winter, as we know, but this year's decrease has been worse than expected. Blood center staff also say that canceled blood drives and reduced donor turnout also attribute to the shortage. There is a two to three day stockpile of some blood types across New York, according to this article, instead of the ideal six or seven day supply. Is climate change intensifying hurricanes in the Atlantic? A group of top hurricane experts say yes. 
Now, according to a new study, the percentage of Atlantic storms that rapidly intensified had tripled over a 28-year period. Rapid intensification occurs when hurricanes grow from a weak tropical storm or Category 1 to a Category 4 or 5 in a brief period. This occurred before Hurricane Harvey struck Texas in 2017 and before Hurricane Michael struck the Gulf Coast with little warning in 2018. Hurricane Michael, for example, transformed from a Category 1 into a Category 4 in the span of 24 hours. The study comes in the wake of two of the most damaging years for hurricanes and other extreme events. In 2017, according to NOAA figures, the United States saw $306 billion in disaster losses, largely driven by Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria. In 2018, Hurricanes Florence and Michael were major factors in a $91 billion damage total. Now, experts say rapid intensification of hurricanes create major emergency response issues because the intensity of hurricanes can rise dramatically in a short period, making it difficult to make key decisions such as issuing an evacuation order. And that story is brought to you from the Washington Post, and we'll be sure to keep our eye on this story and others as we continue with the podcast. All right, and that's our situation report. Up next, Dr. D joins our show. First, here's a throwback message from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Mom, Dad, my teacher said that we should have a plan in case of an emergency. Do we have one? Yeah, sure we do. I'm an expert at making plans. First thing I'm going to do is grab a flashlight with dead batteries. After that, I'm going to empty every drawer and closet looking for supplies I can't find. Then I'm going to mumble a few obscenities under my breath. And that will make Mom even more nervous. That's right, sweetie. After that, I'm going to run downstairs to the bodega looking for batteries they'll be sold out of. And while I'm there, I might even try to pick up some water that'll be totally gone. And while your dad is doing that, I'm going to go from room to room and start randomly throwing clothes in the bag. You two will be hiding in the closet and dad won't be able to find you. And that's when we both start crying. Yes, uncontrollably. Can you pass the cutlets? And um, uh, I'll take some of those potatoes. Glad we don't have a plan. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Make sure your kids know what to do during an emergency. Who to call, where to meet, what to pack. Search ReadyKids at NYC.gov or call 311. A public service announcement brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Yes, you are listening to Prep Talk and we are back. That PSA is my favorite. We say it all the time. Winging it is not an emergency plan. Yep, that one is from the archives back when we were the Office of Emergency Management. Now we have rebranded to New York City Emergency Management. But again, to our listeners, winging it is not an emergency plan. One person who knows nothing about winging it, he's always (laughs) prepared. He is our official doctor of prep talk, Dr. D. Thank you for coming back to our show to talk with us today. Thank you very much for having me. As we have mentioned, Dr. D, you are in charge of the Health Department's Division of Disease Control, and you oversee all infectious disease programs for the city, as well as the public health lab. So I want to start with the measles. There has been extensive coverage in the media of late about the measles. According to the CDC, there were confirmed individual cases of measles in 10 states during the month of January. New York State is one of those states and is facing its most severe measles outbreak in decades. So my first question for you, for our listeners, what is the measles? 
<clears throat> Measles is a uh, very contagious viral disease. In fact, it's one of the diseases that we call vaccine preventable because a vaccine prevents measles. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it is something that, um, you know, if you're not vaccinated, is a very, very contagious uh, virus. In fact, probably one of the most contagious viruses out there. Okay. And what are some symptoms of the measles? So usually people get symptoms 10 to 12 days after they're, they breathe in the virus. Um, mm -hmm. In some cases, um, it may take up to 21, so 7 to 21 days total after exposure. Um, early symptoms are fever, cough. Some people have a runny nose, um, conjunctivitis, which means your eyes are red and watery. Mm -hmm. um, and then after those initial symptoms where there is nothing on your skin of concern, um, rash starts to appear. So it sort of starts like someone's pouring paint on your head. So so it start oh, wow. on, starts on your head and then it sort of pours down your body. So it's face first, head first. I mean, for me, since I'm bald, you'd see it up here, <laughs> but I'm vaccinated, so I'm not going to get it. Um, and it just sort of drips down and then eventually becomes a full body rash for most people. Uh, so you talked about uh, the best way to prevent the measles is kind of uh, through vaccinations. It's through vaccinations, actually. Um, I have heard that some people talk about not wanting to get vaccinated because of severe allergic reactions to the vaccine. Can you talk to us a little about that? Um, I think it's akin to saying that I don't want to walk outside because I may get st struck by lightning. Right. So at the vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that we use for measles um, tends to be very, very well tolerated. Um, severe allergic reactions are exceedingly rare. Some folks who also don't want to vaccinate um, cite some data um, that has since been debunked, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, people sort of commenting that the data was um, or revealed that it was it was pretty much falsified, um, that measles, mumps, rubella vaccine may be associated with some developmental issues in children. That's untrue. So really, measles is far worse than, than a measles vaccine by orders and orders and orders of magnitude. So um, I really you know, from the medical perspective and also from the emergency response perspective in New York City, mm -hmm. um, I don't really see a good reason not to vaccinate your children or yourself. So in 2018, New York and New Jersey accounted for more than half the measles cases in the country. Um, do you have any insight as to why this may have happened or why it was so prevalent in these two states? Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's really thinking about the origin of of the most recent outbreak we have. So as of February 12th, 2019, um, mm -hmm. we've had 73 cases in New York City. Right. All in the in Brooklyn and all among a very specific community. So the Orthodox Jewish community in Williamsburg and Borough Park. Right. So it sort of reveals to you a little bit of the story of why this is happening. So um, we had imported cases of measles, people who came back from Israel and other parts of the world where there is a, a larger measles epidemic currently happening. Mm -hmm. And when they land here, if they land in a community that may not be adequately vaccinated, since this is such a contagious virus, it tends to spread through that community. So it really speaks to the fact that we're seeing cases because there are a small group of people who are either not vaccinated their children or are late in vaccinating their children. Mm. And it's interesting that you brought up uh, being late in vaccinating children because uh, this next that kind of leads into sure. this question for parents of newborns. Should babies younger than six months of age receive the vaccine? I guess the question is, when is the best time? And how many doses? Great. This is a great question. So um, 
there's no reason for a, a baby under six months old right now to get a vaccine. There are certain circumstances during outbreaks where we may recommend a change in that. Mm-hmm. But right now, the answer is no. Like we don't, we don't recommend any change in vaccination pattern. And so the way that you vaccinate for measles is ideally on or, or just after a child's first birthday, they should get their first dose. And then a second dose should come between four and six years of age. People who get two doses of the MMR vaccine are immune. So chances of getting uh, measles, mumps, or rubella mm-hmm. are really, really low um, if you if you have this vaccine. And um, in some environments, people will check blood to see if people have immunity. But at the end of the day, if you have two doses, you're good to go. What if I only have one dose? Get your second dose. <laughs> so I have a two-year-old at home. I'm also expecting another child. So do you have any recommendations for parents with young children or those who are expecting? Um, should I be getting another MMR shot? Great question. So first of all, make sure your two-year-old is vaccinated. Right on. So that's important. So getting vaccinated, that, that is your main strategy for, for prevention. Because once you're pregnant, the uh, measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, which is a live attenuated vaccine, is actually contraindicated. So you don't want to take it during um, during pregnancy. Um, but if you haven't had it, once you deliver, go for it. It's it's safe to breastfeed if you've had the MMR. So really, it's get it before if you're planning your pregnancy. Um, if you're pregnant and you've never had it, make sure that the kids around you and other folks around you are vaccinated. And when you're done with your pregnancy, when you deliver, then go for it. It's good to get the shot. Really good to know. And just for our listeners who didn't see the exchange between Dr. D <laughs> and Allison when he asked the question, uh, when he made the comment, make sure your two-year-old has... Uh, uh, been vaccinated, she said yes. That's an Shook A class from the Department of Health. Now, Dr. D, with most diseases, there are myths and rumors associated, uh, and, and this is no different with the measles. Mm-hmm. Now, one such rumor is that only kids can contract the measles. Is this fact or fiction? Fiction. Mm. Um, in fact, during this um, outbreak, we have had some cases among unvaccinated or adults. So um, really, it's it's everybody is potentially susceptible to the measles. It's not just for kids. And it's also important to remember that there are some pretty significant adverse outcomes, like bad outcomes that you can get from the measles. There's some, you know, other than the rash, you can get diarrhea, ear infections, you can get pneumonia, um, encephalitis, which means swelling of the brain. And in pregnant women, it could lead to premature birth or low birth weight in pregnancy. Um, And then ultimately, though, thankfully, in our outbreak in New York City that we're currently having, We've had no deaths. But I'll tell you, in Europe, where there's a much larger outbreak, they've mm-hmm. had almost 100 deaths. So really important that, that a vaccine-preventable disease is not just about I don't have a rash and don't have a fever. It's about I can prevent a lot of really bad stuff from going down if I prevent measles. Wow. Okay. So I want to go back to um, a comment that you had made earlier about those who might be traveling internationally. So if you are planning on traveling internationally um, with your children, especially an infant, do you have any advice for them? Yeah. So talk to your doctor, talk to your healthcare provider and get vaccinated. I think that the only sort of one of the important caveats is that the age matters. So if you have a a young infant, you're going to want to talk about how high the risk is and if that infant should get a shot of immunoglobulin, which is another way to prevent measles during travel. So if you're going to a highly measles endemic area, 
mm-hmm. which your doctor can check out by going to the cdc.gov website and looking at travel uh, traveler's health. Um, there are clear recommendations as to what people should do. So um, I think ultimately the answer is um, there are measles outbreaks all over the world. There's something going on in Israel. There's things happening in parts of, of, of Europe. Really important if you haven't had the MMR to, to just cross check with your, with your healthcare provider to make sure that you have it. Great information. Oh, one more thing. Sorry, not to interrupt. <laughs> Give it at least two weeks before you go because that way oh. you have a chance to get immune. So if you take it the day before, great. We'll take that, but better to have it a couple of weeks before so your body has some time to react or respond mm-hmm. to the vaccine. So prepare. Prepare. Ah, I it love sounds it. familiar, right? <laughs> <laughs> prepare. We said that he's always prepared. I love this. <laughs> Great information here from you, Dr. D. Uh, another question. Is it too late to get vaccinated? What if I am 18 years of age, my parents didn't give me the vaccine, uh, and I've gone out on my own, moved out of the house? Uh, can I get a vaccine at 18? Yes, there's no um, age cutoff for a vaccine. There are other things that you may want to sort of ta- explore with your pro- medical provider. Like there's certain situations, like if your immune system is low or other things, it's worth sort of reviewing it. But at the end of the day, if you're not vaccinated and not immune, you should go for it. Wonderful. Uh, any quick tips on how we can all stay safe, especially with uh, the outbreak? Get vaccinated if you haven't been. Um, the reality is this outbreak is very, very contained um, within certain areas and actually within certain communities. Mm-hmm. So um, the most important thing is um, business as usual. This shouldn't create fear, but it should create a desire to prepare because we don't want to be like other parts of the world where folks who have opposed vaccine have resulted in large numbers of people not vaccinated against measles, mumps, and rubella, and then the generalized outbreaks or more generalized outbreaks that they're having. So uh, to prepare, check. If you don't know if you've been vaccinated or not, talk to your healthcare provider. If you're not immune or haven't been vaccinated, talk to them again and think about getting your vaccine. All right. Fantastic. Stay right there. We have more coming up with Dr. D next. If you don't know, now you know. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. That's right. We're here with Dr. D from New York City's health department. We've been talking about the measles. We want to turn our attention to influenza. Uh, We have seen an increase in cases of the flu, which is now widespread in New York City. Uh, So the first question, what is the flu? And is there a difference between the flu and the common cold? So it sounds like we're having a big virus day that we're talking today. Yeah. <laughs> so so, well, so um, flu is, uh, influenza is a uh, generally respiratory illness uh, that could have some more sort of generalized body uh, effects that is caused by a virus. Colds are also caused by viruses, but flu tends to be way more severe than the cold. And so for anyone who's had the flu, um, you are knocked out. So you have high fevers, you have you can have shakes, um, you have all of the symptoms of a cold, but it's a lot more intense. Um, so the other piece of this is that colds generally are a nuisance mm-hmm. and they like to spread all over a city. Flu is not just a nuisance, it's potentially deadly. And so it can cause pneumonia and other complications. So um, it's caused by the influenza virus. There's a million viruses, not a million, but a lot of viruses mm-hmm. that can cause a common cold. Um, so the flu virus specifically is one that we're scared of, but thankfully, unlike the common cold, have a vaccine that is either effective in preventing acquisition of the flu or preventing the the consequences of the flu. Okay. So to confirm, we've said this, that people who have the flu often experience signs and symptoms 
suddenly, not gradually. Can you um, explain to our listeners what those signs might be? Yeah. So it generally presents with a sort of thunderclap onset of fever, chills, muscle aches are fairly common. It's a little bit different than a cold. People don't usually have that same level of achiness, um, cough and sore throat. Sometimes, though not always, people may also have like gastrointestinal or stomach kind of symptoms mm -hmm. like vomiting or diarrhea. Um, people are usually ill for just a few days. But sometimes it can lead to more serious illnesses like pneumonia, either influenza pneumonia, which tends to happen right after you get the illness, so you kind of never get better, or it can cause uh, it can it can be a, uh, a factor in causing bacterial pneumonia a couple of weeks after the flu. So it can cause a lot of trouble. Um, so you know, really, thousands of New Yorkers uh, died of influenza in the last season. I think nationally, almost eighty thousand people died from the flu. Wow. So it's a really it's it's a big deal. Yeah. So we always say it's a good idea for people to stay at home from work or stay at home from school. If you don't feel well, don't don't come in. Um, but some people say I'm not contagious. You know, I can't spread this virus. But is that true? And when are people most contagious and what are the ways that the virus can be spread? Right. I mean, with paid sick leave, let's tell you to stay home. <laughs> like That's like a good a good message, because really, um, you know, you should really not go to work unless you are free of fever for 24 hours. And what I mean by free from fever is not because you're taking a million milligrams of ibuprofen or Tylenol. You got to be off all of the home remedies, all of the over-the-counter remedies that reduce fever. And if you're fever-free for 24 hours, then it's probably okay to go to work. Um, it's also important to remember that with flu, um, you can also uh, decrease the length of your symptoms if you catch it early enough by starting some antiviral medicines that your doctor or other healthcare provider can prescribe. And it means that you potentially won't have some of the more intense problems um, with flu, but then also have a shorter duration of illness. But nothing's better than a vaccine. Ah. So don't wait to get sick like and, and start these antivirals and all of these home remedies and over-the-counter. So stay home. 24 hours after your fever is gone, off all of the drugs um, that reduce fever like um, acetaminophen or ibuprofen. You mentioned the vaccine, and this is uh, one of those popular topics that come up every year. We just mentioned it with measles, with kind of the anti-vaccine movement. Uh, there are a lot of people who say, hey, I don't get vaccinated, I don't get the flu. There's people who they get vaccinated and they say they still end up getting the flu. So talk to us about that and the importance of the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, so the vaccine, there's no such thing as a perfect vaccine, but the, the flu vaccine does a couple of important things. It prevents you from getting the flu. That's really important. But if it doesn't prevent you from getting the flu, it makes it less intense. So you have a milder case of the flu. And it also prevents, get this, hospitalizations, intensive care unit admissions, and death. Right. So, um, though it may not be perfect in preventing the flu, it's pretty darn good at preventing all of the other stuff that happens. And really, uh, in in uh, the U.S., the guidelines are the recommendations are that everyone over six months old should get a flu shot. But there's certain populations who specifically need to uh, really be encouraged. So that includes adults over fifty, um, pregnant women. Um, there you go. She raised her hand. So right on. <laughs> I uh, got my flu shot in September. That's her good. second A plus in one in one. Session. She's a, she's I acing know. this. She's acing it. <laughs> so over fifty, 
immune system that's weak either because of something like HIV or chemotherapy or other drugs. Um, if you're um, six to five, six months to five years old, no brainer, those kids need vaccine. Right. So really it, it's a bunch of populations um, that may be at increased risk. Um, so older folks, like I said, and, and certain kids, especially in that, in that six month to five year range um, are definitely folks and pregnant women. Like we said, the other part that you brought up, which I think is important to talk about is the flu shot doesn't make you sick. Right. The flu shot is made of, of an activated virus. It's dead. It can't do anything. Now, anytime you get a shot, your arm can hurt. You can have like some, a little bit of, of you know, some people get like a low grade temperature. They may not feel perfect, but it's not the flu that you're getting. Mm. And the other thing to remember is flu season is also cold season. So one of the things that I hear when I see patients all the time is, ugh, you gave me the flu shot and the next day I had sniffles. And the answer is you got a cold from somewhere else because there are another thousand viruses that can do this. So it is not the flu shot. Flu shot safe, stupendously well tolerated and prevents flu, death, ICU admissions, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. See, this is why Dr. D is a doctor for prep talk, because he brings up so many salient points. Yep. And he's also all about preparedness, which, you know, we love. <laughs> um, so we've also been told to be mindful of, you know, touching certain things, making sure your hands are washed. I mean, I'm not a germaphobe. I mean, I have to be very mindful, though, of making sure that my hands are always clean. But should I not be touching doorknobs? Should I be wearing gloves? You know, should I, you know, be very, very careful um, you know, what should we be doing to ensure that uh, we're staying safe? Uh, what's a conduit of the flu virus? Well, as an infectious disease doctor, theoretically, I should be scared of everything. And I'm very happy to, <laughs> to be on. It's true. I should, I'm happy to touch the coffee pot in, in the office. I'm happy to grab the uh, the pole at the MTA. But I also carry around hand sanitizer and wash my hands a lot. Right. So I think that the advice is, you know, business as usual. Um, do what you got to do to keep your hands clean and really frequent hand hygiene, whether it's through an, an alcohol-based hand sanitizer, or it's through washing your hands with soap and water and singing happy birthday once through to make sure that you've done it. Right. Um, I think that that's really, you know, good, good advice. And that's also good advice if you have someone who happens to get the flu at home. So you should be vaccinated, but still like try your best. Hand hygiene is really critical, but you shouldn't become a germaphobe. You don't need to be in a bubble. I'm going to high five and spray the hand sanitizer right after <laughs> at I the do same that. Time. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Um, one last question on the flu. Is the stomach flu related to the actual flu? Um, the word flu right. is a magical slang term for mm. lots of people. So when I talk flu, I'm talking influenza. Mm -hmm. Stomach flu is just like a slang term that people throw around for like some kind of gastrointestinal illnesses. Right. Now, there's plenty of viral gastrointestinal illnesses that go around, especially in the winter. Mm -hmm. um, there are also bacterial um, diseases that can, or uh, infections that can also cause symptoms like gastroenteritis or diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. Mm -hmm. So um, though flu can can cause stomach symptoms. It's it's not really a stomach flu. So again, it's kind of jargon and slang to say stomach flu. Right. So it's, you know, doctors call it gastroenteritis. It's not a stomach flu. Okay. Um, so they're different. All right. So switching gears, uh, you've done extensive work around HIV education and treatment here in New York City. Um, New York City is actually leading the country in ending the AIDS epidemic in 2017. We saw a record low number of new HIV diagnoses, um, a little more than 5% drop from 2016. 
Um, what methods can you attribute to these improvements? So virus number three. So here we go. So for <laughs> HIV, I think a lot of the work has uh, revolved around, you know, really exquisite community engagement. So mm. then I'll talk about the science. So we um, in New York have really uh, relied on our community to guide us um, to implement science in a way that makes the most sense. And so then I'll move on and say that with that guidance, we have three really important strategies that um, really lead us to be able to um, end the HIV epidemic in our jurisdiction. And so the first is um, testing. So we are one of the best tested jurisdictions in the world. So we think that almost 95% of people living with HIV in New York City are aware of their diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That is wow. amazing in a city of 9 million. Um, the second thing that we've done and have continued to promote is HIV treatment. So about 85% of people living with HIV who are engaged in care are actually what we call undetectable. That means that the medicines they're taking drive the virus in their blood to levels so low that they don't get sick and have this fabulous side effect, which is called U equals U, or undetectable is equal to untransmittable, which means that you do not transmit the virus. It's impossible if you get to undetectable and stay there. And then the last thing is we have pre-exposure prophylaxis, a different prep than your prep, which is uh, <laughs> taking HIV medicines daily um, if you're at risk for HIV acquisition, um, along with condom use as much as you can to prevent HIV. And we've seen historic declines in HIV because of it. In fact, among uh, gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men, we saw an almost 18% reduction in new infections in, in 2017, probably on the back of, of pre-exposure prophylaxis. The last ingredient, I've got to say, as we're in uh, the universe of an administration that's talking about an ending an epidemic nationally, mm -hmm. is political will. And New York City, especially under Mayor de Blasio, has been a leader in um, really <clears throat> implementing some of the most innovative work. And the political support that we've had um, from the mayor, city council, and others has been historic. And the, result, the proof is in the pudding. It works. That's incredible. And uh, on that note, New York City has a goal of ending the HIV epidemic by 2020. Are we still on target to meet that goal? And if so, what does that mean? and in the epidemic across the country. Great. So first I'll say that um, the end of HIV epidemic just means that we have more work to do after 2020 because right. you have to keep people treated. You have mm -hmm. to keep people engaged in care and it, keep those numbers of people who are accessing prevention. So really nothing really ends in mm -hmm. 2020 except that we get to the point where the prevalence, the number of people living with HIV in New York City for a change will not go up, but will start to go down over time. So that's what we mean by the end of the epidemic. Great. So are we on target? We're actually exactly on target. So our, our plan is that we are supposed to get to um, statewide 750 uh, or fewer new infections. That means brand new infections, not just new diagnoses by mm -hmm. 2020. And we are exactly on target. The state thinks we're going to get there earlier. We like to be more conservative and say we're going to make it by 2020. But we are absolutely on target. Wonderful. That's fantastic news. Now, where can people find more information about infectious diseases, um, symptom signs, how to prevent them, how to get treated. 
all that fun stuff. Our New York City Department of Health website is pretty great. We have a lot of information about diseases. So I think my first place to stop would be nyc.gov forward slash health. And then what you do is just go to our search bar and look for the diseases that you're interested in. So if you want influenza, you can search influenza. Um, and another um, sort of, I'm going to give a flu plug if that's okay, and a measles, mumps, rubella plug. Mm-hmm. You can also dial 311 um, and or actually text flu to 877-877, and you can get a list of places that you can get the flu vaccine. So we have a lot of ways for you to get information, but I think our website's a great first hit. And you can give as many plugs as you want, Dr. D, your family, you know that. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, U equals you. Yes. U equals you. What was that again? Because I like I That's like good. That so um, U equals you. Undetectable is equal to untransmittable. Um, New York City was the first jurisdiction in the U.S. to sign on to this, and now everybody in the world is copying us like they always do. <laughs> We're trendsetters. We are trendsetters. We are trendsetters. Um, all right. So it's time for rapid response. If you are a first time listener, it's simple. Omar and I will ask Dr. D a few <laughs> questions. He will give us the answer that comes to mind. Let's get into it. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. All right. It's time for Rapid Response. Now, Dr. D, here's a question. What is the one emergency item you cannot live without? The flashlight my mom gave me when I went to college. It works still. <laughs> I check its batteries every couple of months. <laughs> Great answer. Thanks. Uh, what is your favorite medical theme TV show or movie? I still like Grey's Anatomy. Oh my goodness. I think that's a great show. It is a great show. My girlfriend actually watches it all the time. She's in med school, but Grey's Anatomy has been around forever. Since, yeah, I was yeah. in college. Yeah. Yeah, There's a yeah lot me of too. Ones. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Omar tried to pass off before that he's 18 years old, but we'll, we'll only, get into that in a different episode. I'm 22. <laughs> <laughs> What's currently on your playlist? So embarrassing. Ariana Grande. Sorry. No, that's good. It's great, I that's guess. Good. But I'm, I, I told you I'm only 22, so my taste is like that of a teenage child, a teenage boy or girl. She has a lot of good music. She's so. doing good right now. Yeah. Yep. Nothing to be ashamed of there. And the last question, sum up the work you do in one word. Mission driven. Mm. It's a dash, so. This sort of counts. <laughs> no, it totally counts. It totally counts. Uh, Dr. D, thank you so much for joining us, uh, teaching us about infectious diseases, what New Yorkers can do to stay safe. That website again, nyc.gov forward slash health, call 311. You could also text flu to 877-877 to find a flu vaccination location near you. And before we sign off, we have some bittersweet news for our listeners. And as we've mentioned throughout the episode, Allison is uh, she's going to be going out on maternity leave soon. Yes. And uh, we will definitely miss uh, having you on the show and hearing your voice uh, with us for the next few months. But uh, you'll definitely be with us in spirit. I know that. And I can't wait for you to be back uh, with me here. Yep. And I'll be talking more about preparedness on, uh, you know, balancing two kids. So stay (laughs) tuned for that. Um, It's been great. um, And I'm looking forward to coming back too. But, you know, on to the next adventure and taking all of the advice that I've received from all of our guests uh, uh, thus far, um, you know, to this uh, to this new uh, venture that we've got coming up. I'm going to get a pin for you. Most prepared mom. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Most prepared mom. (laughs) Um, actually, I would prefer to have like a crown and scepter, though. That's <laughs> so, um, but thanks again. This has been great. Dr. D, any last words? No, thanks for having me. This was a, a, a great conversation. And I hope that uh, that folks um, just make plans without being scared, because I think that that's the, that's really the, the best strategy. 
That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.